Hello, this is JFL, John Francis Leader, and welcome to the Body, Mind, Self podcast. So my guest today is Professor Alyosha Smolich. You're very welcome to the podcast. Thank, thank you. you for being here. And I should say thank you for having me because we're here in, in your building recording this and a, a hell of a building it is too. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. Uh, I was introduced to your work a while ago by uh, uh, Dr. A.B. Campbell over in, uh, in UCD, who spoke highly of uh, some, of the, some of the work you were doing. And uh, given that you do interesting work and you also happen to be based in Dublin at the moment, uh, we, we couldn't miss the opportunity to, uh, to have a good chat. So for anybody who doesn't know you, doesn't know your work, how would you introduce yourself? Who are you? What do you do? What, what excites you? Well, I do research in, in visual computing, so processing of any type of uh, visual information from camera to display, mm. so capturing real-world scenarios with cameras and other types of sensors, converting them into other types of representations, and in the end making nice-looking images as part of some creative content. So it's mm. mostly tools for content creators for, as I said, any type of visual information. Mm. And things that we are currently most interested in are augmented reality, virtual reality, things that are considered as immersive technologies that are coming to, to everyday, ev everyone's life very soon. Right, so right. Hope, yeah. and, and it seems to be an interesting time because I, I would think that, you know, go back 10 years, maybe go back 20 years, keep going back, that fewer people would have really got what you do. I'm sure they still don't understand what you do if you stop a person on the street. But the types of technologies you mentioned seem to be more in the public consciousness more. Would that be fair yes. to say? Yes, definitely. So things that I've been doing were always around video, around mm -hmm. visual information. So everyone knows video and uh, you can explain everyone that you are processing video to some extent. Yeah, so it's, yeah. it was not something like... Um, astrophysics where you are very far away yeah. from understanding of, of the lay people so I always had the pleasure that I could uh, explain my research very well to everyone and also show nice demos and our presentations be mm -hmm. very very visual but you're right that specific uh, aspects of what we have been what I've been doing already 15 years ago mm -hmm. in augmented reality virtual reality and things we call free viewpoint video were really pioneering back then Mm -hmm. And w I've been active in this over many years and built a reputation and the background in that, uh, in the scientific side. And many of this is just right now on the, on the cusp of becoming mainstream. Uh, mm -hmm. So people get more and more um, familiar with uh, virtual reality or, and headsets that they are putting and being immersed into such environments. But also augmented reality is something that really everyone will understand very soon yeah. uh, as we will have it all on our phones very, very soon. And it means like the seamless overlay and integration of real world and virtual elements in some visual environment, like mm -hmm. having on your phone some information overlaid about the environment you are in is a simple example and that yeah. will be on everyone's phone very soon. So. The big companies like Apple mm. uh, and Google, Facebook, they are investing very much in that and everyone will, will have an, an, an understanding of that very soon and, and very many, many use cases. And what have been the implications over the past number of years of that growing awareness of the, these technologies? Has that changed what you're doing much? Because as you said, you've been doing this for quite some time, yeah. but what, what has been the effect of yeah, that? I mean, we have been doing this 15 years ago and we were doing prototypes that showed partially the functionality of what we also do today mm -hmm. but the 
technology itself was still so crappy or so immature yeah. right yeah. that uh, you could not convince uh, everyone from the 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 market or the the business or the end user qualities of that right but now with uh, the headsets becoming really good and uh, everyone having a small computer in his pocket all of this b becomes suddenly accessible mm -hmm. so that then raises a lot of hype in the industry a lot mm -hmm. of expectation among the users and uh, an atmosphere where really something is happening and we are just right in the middle and in the right place of having all this background and knowledge to contribute to that mm. at, at this point in time so it's an exciting time i must say so we get mm. uh, very so many contacts and interest for for what we are doing that we yeah just just can't do everything that that we could do or where we have ideas from yeah there's a, there's a, and i can see that there's potentially so many different applications for, for what you're doing and different types of yeah. technologies and the, the old divides between one technology and another seem to be disappearing dramatically. You know, you, the, the yeah. obvi obvious go-to examples are things like smartphones where you would have, you know, years ago, separate photography specialists and separate, you know, communication specialists and all of a sudden now cameras are phones and phones are cameras and all of a sudden there's this, this sort of emerging going on. What's that been like for you existentially over the past while? Did you a long time ago see the potential for all these things to be kind of unified together or do the categories that you work with chop and change over time as you think about them? Yeah, they do change and they evolve and not everything I would have foreseen like this. Yeah. Uh, so especially the the possibilities we have with the mobile devices today mm. I, I didn't have that in mind uh, 10 15 years ago yeah um, that the, the hardware would be so accessible and so available as you say everyone has a, a full computer uh, that is more powerful than uh, the nasa computers yeah. that uh, were controlling the the rockets going to the moon in in our pockets mm. um but in the core of the technology and the vision of the applications, that was something that we had in mind. So we were thinking of putting mm. virtual elements into real environments or right. glasses-based systems where you could see through and have information overlaid and integrate real and virtual things. Mm -hmm. But to which extent and how exactly that would uh, surface uh, in the market, well, not, not all the details were, were clear mm. to me at, at that point in time. But it was also something more, more abstract, and that could apply to different use cases and that's what we see happening today right? yeah and that uh, universal core that you're talking about there seems to be an important point because i noticed in your title professor of creative technology so there's two interesting right. words coming together technology and creativity yes. and you know whether you're talking about etchings on cave walls or whether you're talking about modern smart technologies yes. There seems to be some sense in which we're bringing a creativity to the table, but also we're using technology, whether it's as simple as a stick in the sand to you know, draw a picture, or whether it's very sophisticated, immersive systems, we're using that to kind of supplement and, and, and augment, as you say, too. Yes. So it's interesting that you say that because it does seem that although the, 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 the fashion of the technology may change and the way we splice uh, and, and subdivide technologies may change, it does seem to be that there is a core theme which is not just there over the past few decades, but is probably a universal theme that has always and will always be there. Yes. Has, 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 has that theme... I don't know, has it always been clear to you or have you come to see that more over time? Yeah, what, what no, do you think? One, one aspect of what you just mentioned come became very clear to me over the last two, three years when 
this hype around virtual reality started a lot. Yeah. Um, because in the end, it goes back to storytelling. Uh, if creative things are about storytelling, about characters, about emotions, about uh, conveying something in between humans that, uh, mm -hmm. that tells a story. And that goes back to, to sitting at the bonfire together and uh, the storyteller telling th things from his life and yeah. the whole uh, yeah. tribe sitting and listening to painting on the walls, which mm -hmm. is a first level maybe of expression or building first artifacts um, out of wood or, or whatever they did back. Right. But it is still the same thing of wanting to tell stories. And uh, um, the, the elements of that are the same. So it's characters, it is uh, things that happen, and it's tragedy, it's fun. So there's mm -hmm. a couple of basic things you can tell. And humans still also do the same things they did a few thousand years ago. Yeah, yeah. But as you say, the technologies change and the opportunities change. And then mm -hmm. later we had film. 2D film where mm. you go into a cinema as an example, right? And you, there is a director that selects a couple of visual scenes that he puts together in a way that it would tell a story and convey an emotion. And there, are, there is a certain language developed in filmmaking, how, how to tell, for instance, an over-shoulder shot or mm. things. And also the technology around it, where to place a scenery and how to how to how to frame pictures, all of that has been developed with the focus of that medium, which was film. Yeah, yeah. That was also fully immersive if you put yourself into a cinema and let yourself go into, into the movie. Mm. Also, reading a book is fully immersive, now, although it doesn't have any of the technologies that we today speak about as immersive technologies like mm -hmm. VR. So that thinking around such things gave me this uh, this... Well, for me personally, the, the, the insight that is not new, that uh, mm. it's, it's a storytelling and mm. we are evolving new tools. We are creating new technologies that put the creatives into the position to tell their stories and create new aesthetics and, and, and all of this around. And this then later evolved when I started again, we're looking very much into virtual reality, where we try to find out how you would how storytelling is new in virtual reality mm. compared to classical filmmaking mm -hmm. and i was also as i had an appointment at a school of arts in karlsruhe as a kind of honorary professor oh, yeah. i gave a course there on with a group of students on uh, immersive storytelling mm. but immersive in a sense virtual rea in virtual reality because classical uh, language of filmmaking doesn't work mm. so you, you don't have the over shoulder the cut from one to the other to to convey uh, a dialogue as a classical filmmaker would do it so you put the camera into the scene so it's unclear how you would do these things in virtual reality it's also unclear how you would uh, use lighting how you would cut from one scene to the other right. because that means basically teleporting the audience from from one scene to the other mm. and also very trivial things so there's no behind the scenes so where do you put the crew where do you put the microphones mm. so from very practical technical things to very sophisticated storyline um, considerations all of this is actually unknown mm. and so in, in the course of this um, the seminar we evolved that and talked about well what's actually new and what were the the old things from filmmaking that we can use, which do we need to restructure, re, um, redefine, or what can we learn from uh, from gaming? Yes. Now, so 
this all is an example of this what i wanted to say that it's storytelling and we are uh, as creative technologists we are looking at what which how do which technologies can we uh, provide for f to storytellers in the end yeah. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because some of the, the language of, of things like filmmaking is, if we, if we take cinema as a classic example, which is interesting because it's relatively new, but still old enough for us to have developed a, a good language of, of how we consider it. Um, some of it I I is given. I mean, even the duration of a film has a lot to do with the human bladder and attention spans and things like right. that. So yeah. th th there are practical limitations. But some of it seems to be a language that we've learned as well. We, yes. we kind of learned how to watch film over time as well. What's interesting about, uh, I suppose, the likes of virtual reality narrative is that um, not only do we not know how to make it, but we, we I suppose, haven't learned the language yet. It's, it's a little bit like the example of do the orange juice manufacturers make the cartons to fit the fridge or do the fridge manufacturers make the fridges to fit the cartons? And yeah. you can presume yeah, there's been kind of a dance yeah. there over time in some way. So I suppose if we're a director or a writer, we're thinking about the expectations of our audience to some degree and their familiarity with the technology as we create. But meanwhile, of course, the audience member is expecting a certain thing from the director or the writer as well. So it's new, I suppose, in some of these these new approaches we're taking to to to, to narrative yeah. in the likes of virtual reality. Um, could you say some more about the implications of that? I suppose because do, do do we have to learn how to consume this this media to some degree? Yes, absolutely. So it's and the duration is one example of that. So it's mm -hmm. unclear if people will be willing or to stay in a virtual environment for longer than a few minutes. So mm -hmm. certainly it's not the 90-minute narrative that will happen there. Yeah, yeah. So we are still thinking, w what is a good length? Or how long How long is kind of something where a, a maximum acceptance uh, of, of the audience uh, yeah. would lie, right? So, And we are testing that also in some creative experiments. Right? And mm -hmm. part of our project is, uh, we have nice funding for that as well, mm -hmm is to to early on get together with creatives with some of our tools and give them things in the hand and uh, yeah, use their creativity to come up with real use cases mm. creative pieces of our technology where we could try out the technology but also test really field test uh, exactly such things right so right. for instance, one thing that we just recently did and that we will release in the Dublin Theatre Festival, for instance, is the, a play where we got together with uh, the School of Drama of Trinity. Mm. And we captured a uh, Samuel Beckett play mm. that was uh, made for stage. Mm. It was a very specific one of a quite short duration and a very limited geometry uh, among the, the, uh, the actors that mm. are participating. And we created a virtual reality version of that. Okay. And now we have, I think it's one of the first things in the world where, where we can test and try out the audience and put them into a virtual reality theater play and, mm. and see how, how they would react. And mm. Because these things that you mentioned are unknown and everyone is experimenting like we are experimenting. Yeah. And the technology is just out there and starting to, to take traction, to get mm. traction. 
And yeah, so we are very as curious as the creatives to learn sure. about what, what the outcomes of that will be. And I'm glad you used the word theater because th th that yeah. does seem to be a good go-to source, doesn't it, for how yes. to approach some of this. Yeah. We, we, again, technology has become fashionable and sometimes just commercially useful. If you're a big corporation and you decide theater is the product, it gets a bit tricky. Of course, you can, you can have shows and there are big companies who do that, yeah. but it's not as packageable in some way. There's some sense of it being live and you know, even interactive to some extent. Uh, but there's a lot to learn there, isn't there, in, in, in the use of some of what we're trying yeah. to do with, with, with VR or, or that type of application. Uh, any thoughts on that? Because the project you describe is, is a good example of that. How to, um, how to take maybe modern approaches to technology, but then to try and have conversations with more traditional forms uh, like theater. Yes. How does that go? So What's that, that was, been like? That was exactly something challenging so we were a mm. bit afraid uh, yeah. of, of that specific example but also th that was an exciting element of that yeah. uh, because uh, Samuel Beckett is a very famous uh, thing and mm. specifically at Trinity he's a very highly uh, regarded figure obviously and so we tried uh, we presented this at the Samuel Beckett summer school in, in this the summer the first presentation of this project and we yeah. were really a bit afraid of how the perception would be as these people are very traditional, very from the theater space, from drama, how their perception would be taking that now to virtual reality and uh, this kind of classical pieces in, in such a reinterpretation. And specifically the, the, the director from the School of Drama who was in charge of the creative side and also our creative director uh, Neil mm. were uh, nervous uh, yeah. how it would be perceived but the perception was very good so the feedback okay. that we got from these people was very positive very open and kind of uh, embracing this type of uh, idea to take to see how classical work classical drama mm. would work with uh, with these technologies so that made us confident to go on and we are planning more collaborations with them trying out other things also in augmented reality mm -hmm. there will be another project like this and so we are going out with with this piece with the, with the play also and going, going to market that a lot but also as you mentioned uh, the big ones um, also th the big companies uh, realized that uh, this technology is out there will be out there but that there is a big content gap and that mm. uh, people will need content to consume otherwise the hardware and everything will not yeah. be good for anything uh, but it it's not known what the content should be and how it should look like so mm. that's why big companies like facebook uh, let's say they established a studio called the oculus uh, story studio mm. you know, where they hired filmmakers from um yeah, from Pixar and other animation film studios to get together and to experiment to to tell stories in VR mm. and, and to make something like the first VR films, and also other other technology providers with the same background, like Jaunt is a big company mm. looking at uh, 360 cameras. They also have a creative arm, a story studio that showcases and experiments with short film clips, where they would learn and showcase also the storytelling side so experiment mm. with this new technology they are not looking really at, at the drama side as mm. this very classical mm. type of uh, of art very conservative maybe uh, but that's something that we as an academic uh, institution sure. of course yeah can do no? it's interesting because you could see it going either way you could see uh, i suppose a concern by traditionalists let's say in in uh, theater 
you know, so <laughs> there's technology involved or complicating things. But you can also see it going the other way. And I think I've seen it go a bit more this other way, which is people actually very much appreciating the spotlight that mm. some modern technologies are actually shining again on traditional approaches and methods. Because it seems a bit different here. It's not that we have um, maybe competition between different forms of, of communication, mm. but we have now collaboration more than before. Theater seems to be more in than it's ever been before mm. and more appreciated and respected by, by researchers in this area. Have you found that? Or are there traditionalists who say, get out yeah. of here with the technology? Well, my experience is not as broad uh, to, to make a judgment about that, but I, I can imagine that, that, that that's true. Yeah. But you've had a broadly favorable reception when yes, you definitely. wander in so with technology. With this yeah. one, uh, we got a very good perception. And mm -hmm. also we... As I said, so we are planning many more of such examples and trying out. And this was a very encouraging first step uh, to the, follow that. There just yeah. does seem to be something different about it. Much of the technology, and of course, there's many variations of it, so I'm sure this isn't true across the board, but much of the technology seems to be interested in what traditional forms are doing and, and seek to kind of amplify it or shine a light on it rather than compete with it, just to take something from yeah. it and then leave it to the side. And it'll be interesting to see how that develops. And hopefully it'll develop very well because the room for collaboration, like the project you're working on there, is massive. And it also addresses the content gap that you're talking about before. It seems that we don't need just diehard technology people, as wonderful as they are, to be the only people involved in the creative projects that are happening. And, and I love that about what you described to begin with. You're talking about facilitating content creators. It seems that who a content creator is is becoming even broader over time. Yes, absolutely. I mean, if you see how... Uh, creation and consumption of uh, visual content changed mm. over the last uh, five years with YouTube and, and yeah. other things where everyone is becoming a creator in that mm. sense or has the ability at least to some extent to express himself uh, within mm. borders and also with the culture that evolved around that. Yeah. That YouTube creators have, are millionaires, mm -hmm. some people who are uh, the big hype in this area. And with these technologies will offer uh, additional opportunities for mm -hmm. channels and, and yeah to do things with that. No? And another thing, of course, how the big uh, classical content companies uh, see that really as a threat, right? That, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Classical film or television or and these things don't work anymore. Mm. So I know that also very well from my past mm. uh, employment that uh, there's a lot of... Uh, fear uh, against these type of, of, of new technologies. No? Mm. Let's go there, but let's rewind a little bit first if we can. Mm -hmm. Why are you doing this? What got you into this line of interest to begin with? If you go back, keep rewinding as many years as you many need to, back to, <laughs> back to when you were young, when, uh, was, when yeah. you were particularly young. Uh, was, if, if you look back now, was there evidence of these interests in your past, the, the, the way you spent your time, your own consumption of media, your own interests in the yeah. world? What, what do you see when you look back? Yeah, I mean, so we can go as back as after I left school. If, go if back as like. far as you right, want. So when I finished school, I was looking for something to study and I tried a very, very different subjects that uh, I, I didn't follow very much on but uh, I was always um, making music and had an affinity to to music and expressing mm. myself in, in yeah, playing in bands and mm. uh, these things 
And then there was an opportunity of uh, studying signal processing and uh, audio engineering at I Technical see. University in Berlin. And I thought like, well, if I don't uh, become a rock star, I'll at least be an audio engineer. <laughs> so I started my research in that direction. But uh, I'm also always was I also very much interested in science and computers. Mm. And it was all quite new. So the first personal computers came out maybe at the same time. So mm. I'm quite old already, as, mm. as you can see. <laughs> so I got really engaged in, in this study subject and uh, was always looking for for things like signal processing, you know, which mm -hmm. is in the end the same as what I'm doing today. You know? So that was the direction that I selected there, out of a mixture of a creative and a technical interest, mm. which is, if you want, reflected today as well in my title, which is Professor of Creative Technologies. Right, right. Sense, right. So I had an understanding and affinity to the creative sides, but also an interest and the ability to solve technical and scientific problems. Right. And then... So how I came from audio to video was also a coincidence that uh, there was a job uh, announced in Berlin at the research institute, which was in image processing, mm. not in audio processing, mm. but it's basically the same math and science behind it. So right. I, I got a job mm. and I started uh, my research and my PhD in video image processing. Mm. And then one came to the other and uh, yeah. I went on to the point where I'm, where I'm here now today. Mm. Yeah. And just just taking, I'm, I'm conscious we should probably be unpack a few keywords and terms as we go along for for our broad listenership. Um, just signal processing, even itself. What what is signal processing? Yeah, um, signal is a let me say it very scientific first, a digital representation of a real world uh, phenomenon. Mm. Uh, for instance, music, something that you can hear with your ears, can be represented as an mathematical function as an electrical signal mm -hmm. and uh, any type of processing of this signal which is audio or which is speech mm -hmm. to then finally give it to a loudspeaker and hearing it is audio signal processing and everything that the camera does from taking a picture it converts it into a signal and then in the end a display shows it to the audience so everything that happens in between is signal processing mm -hmm. and well, you can think of speech as a signal or, or many other signals. Mm -hmm. But in the end, it's the a digital representation of phenomena, of media phenomena, if you want, mm -hmm. also of perceptual phenomena. Mm -hmm. You can also think of it that way. Mm -hmm. And all the processing that any machine or computer can do around that, that that's mm -hmm. what I call signal processing. Right? So that was a good area to get into. <laughs> yep, that doesn't sound like it's going to go out of fashion anytime soon. Yes. Yeah, it's true. And representation, as we said, whether it's with the, the, the stick and the sand or whether it's the, the yes. you know, ink on parchment or whether it's the, the, the digital versions of it you described, it does seem to be a kind of a universal theme. It was like that for me, actually, as well. That's why I got into psychology, because I was thinking, well, what's something I really am interested in, but that will always be relevant in some shape or form? <laughs> you know, I won't be unemployed in, you know, 10 years time because that goes out of fashion yeah. i think well people are always going to be around and the representation you describe uh, the, the storytelling we all do that does seem to be a universal theme i also studied psychology for one semester did you but sorry I, to hear I, that I, I didn't finish it so I, <laughs> that's I a common on. common complaint <laughs> yeah. 
it's like that in filmmaking. I, I remember reading a report once, oh, I forget where it was, but the, I think they said that the majority of people who studied film ended up working in like agriculture or something like that, you know. Yeah. Then, of course, a lot of the filmmakers didn't study it at all. They just went out there and did it. So it's not always that simple. Yeah. But on that point, there is um, very much a psychology to what you do. And um, I mean, as I say, even in that creative technologies title, um, there's a sense in which you know you could just get caught up in the technology but i notice in any of your previous work as well i've looked at you're always nodding to the the overall storytelling to the content creators yes. to the yeah. psychological elements to it yeah. what what is that like in your work in a day-to-day -day sense because some of the projects and i know there's many of them that you've accomplished are, are these technical feats where you're trying to solve problems and make things happen and i can imagine in a day-to-day -day sense it's very easy to get, be caught up in the minutiae of, of the math essentially of that problem and try to <laughs> try to figure it out how do you do that because you probably do need to focus in detail on one hand how do you do that but also keep the playful creativity as part yeah. of it and that overarching theme you know, what you describe is a, is a phenomenon that's totally true. So many of the researchers in our field are focusing on the math, on that signal, what they yeah. have. But in the end, all of this is made for the end user. So the mm -hmm. human factors and the, the quality for the end user is what matters, finally. So yeah. And uh, many of my fellow colleagues also recognize it. And uh, I mean, in the, in the area of signal processing, there's a field that is constantly growing and getting more and more... Um, important is what we call quality of experience mm. which first tries to understand the perception of the human so the audio and visual limit limitations of that trying to understand what what does uh, quality constitute mm. in in these different categories and then also in multimodal cases mm. and then trying to come up with uh, technology that would measure quantify and influence these right. quality aspects right and that's something that we very actively do so we go specifically to such conferences on quality of multimedia mm. experience and do um yeah some of our publications are on things like visual attention so mm. where we try to understand given a, a couple of images where do people look at or what does call the attention specifically one project we did was about uh, 360 video so virtual reality video right where the visual attention is different from looking at the photograph. Mm. Uh, so if you give someone a, a picture, you can, or there, there is uh, science that could tell you probabilities of where people would look at. But in the moment when you put someone in a VR headset and they can look around, the story changes. Uh, so that's a research mm. question that we, yeah. we were looking at. And this is a very important guiding principle in many of the research that we are, we are doing. So understanding the right. perception, the limits of perception, and then designing the algorithms and the technical systems towards, towards that. Right? Right. So I had a couple of projects also in my last uh, appointment, uh, or a, really a, even a research focus uh, that we called perceptual computing or computational mm. perception where we look mm. for instance at high dynamic range imaging and how it is how are the limits of the human perception and how do we have to manipulate images to to adapt them to the dyna dynamic range of the mm. eye or we did a lot of research on stereoscopic 3d as that was a big hype over the last 10 years maybe but it's a very difficult perceptual phenomenon and mm. you can make very many things very wrong in stereoscopic 3d yes. so we were looking at specifically a couple of uh, 
papers I have in a journal of applied perception mm. where we studied such phenomena and try to answer quality aspects or perception aspects of, of stereoscopic 3D. And so as examples, so we always try to use the knowledge from perception mm. for design of our algorithms, but sometimes we even measure the limits of perception right. with regard to some of the content that we are creating. Mm. So specifically in, in, in my research, that was a, a very strong focus. Yeah. So to do what you do well involves taking on quite a lot, doesn't it? Because you, know, you really are taking on the psychology and the technology of it in order to do justice. Because yes, as yeah. you said, if you, if you just work away in the technology and you make what you think is good technology, but if it doesn't work with the human uh, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's going to yes. be a novelty, but it's not really going to be anything else. Um, and, and in terms of your, your kind of day-to-day -day work, I suppose, um, your focus on user experience and conferences and conversations around that obviously emphasize that a huge amount. I, I, is it that when you're working and you're focusing on the, on the detail, is it that you kind of keep consciously coming back to that? In other words, are you imagining the end user? as you're as you're working on it yes regularly definitely no yeah. so i mean practically uh, in, in many of these projects we we build some algorithms which takes a few weeks or months we yeah. are yeah. developing something optimizing them but in the end in order to to justify if it is a good or bad uh, invention we have to do a user study mm -hmm. so often we then invite we make a very formal user tests mm. where we invite 20 people and give them a task with something that we developed and we have to be very, so it's like um, experiments in psychology yeah. where you would clearly define tasks and objects and uh, then you do some kind of statistical analysis of, what mm -hmm. of the data that you collected and that is often the core justification and evaluation of the technology that we did, right, these right. type of experiments. And when we are developing the technology well, then it is coding and math and, mm. and, and that, but still it's always the, the end goal in many of those is, is the perception. And right. uh, the goal to make some quality measure increase over what was done before, mm. for instance. I right? see, I see. Mm. Um, the, the, th that itself, I think, is an interesting point because one thing that we see, uh, I suppose, in practice is that it's not always the most sophisticated technology or content that necessarily has the greatest effect. Uh, and I mean, even you, you have a Disney background and it's not that, you know, the, the, the higher the resolution or the more you can pump it up necessarily, the more the emotion is there. We yeah. all have our memories of fairly low quality, you yes, know, VHS yes. cassettes, maybe from, you know, years back where you may be crying while watching them. And of course you can have, you know, very, very high polygon kind of yes. well-rendered stuff that can be boring as well if, uh, if it isn't done right. Yes, yes. How do you think about that in, in your work? I mean, it's a matter of parameters. Uh, so, uh, as I said, so um, listening to a story on a bonfire can be as immersive as uh, being in a virtual environment with the latest headset mm. uh, technology. So that's one thing. So the quality of the stories is is one parameter, of course. And uh, but. In these tests that we are doing, we are trying to identify very narrow questions and really abstract, making the tests in a way, clinical tests almost, yeah, to yeah. abstract from everything that could influence besides that parameter that we are measuring. So for instance, if we are interested, the example you said in the effect of resolution, mm -hmm. we would 
show different resolutions and measure the effect yeah hopefully only of the resolution but of course as piece of a whole creative mm. art it may not matter because it's a story that matters and if you yeah. see it on an old vhs and you get emotional then that's what counts no? uh, would it be fair to say people get that in 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 the main in terms of the storytelling of, of different descriptions do you do you find in other words people who approach this and say we need to get the technology right and they're neglecting the story a little is that or do people get the importance of the narrative first do you find yes yeah so definitely but still on in our end we we don't want to get into the business of the creatives. Sure, so we still say sure. we are making the technology as good as possible. Right. But that the creatives can do uh, what they want to do mm-hmm. what as good as possible. They could still certainly do still a, a good creative product with technology that is not less good. Uh, but sure. That is not sure. that good. But sure. uh, if they have it a bit better, that won't harm them. Uh, yeah. So in that sense, we try to we, we abstract uh, you're, you're, you're creating, if I understand you, a high-quality piano rather than trying to teach them how or what to play in that yes. sense. So the tools are there, the quality right. is yeah. there. Yeah, That's yeah. Good, good uh, and it's interesting because, yeah, it's only by contrasting these, these different technologies that we can kind of see that more, the notion of the uncanny valley, the idea that, mm. yes, it can be a bit eerie at some points when we approach realism, and, you know, sometimes it can be safer in some ways to play it with, you know, very, very simple yes. lines and things like that that are somewhere between the campfire you described and then the really, really incredibly, uh, you know, high-fidelity, yeah. immersive experience. It, it, I suppose it just keeps showing that, we project, I suppose, so much of the time. We're constructing in any given yeah. moment our experience, and it's amazing how much just the imagination itself can do, which needs to be very, very good news from a narrative point of view because it means you yes, can have very yeah. high leverage sometimes, and it points back to narrative again. Yeah. So the, the user testing that you're talking about there, um, to, to what degree is there either good psychology out there that you can use or is it out there but maybe accessible to you or do you really find that in practice you need to just go and test it yourself? In other words, is there any good psychological data that you, you'd find no. is actually accessible? Yeah, so we have our standard textbooks specifically for the visual parts yeah. of, of visual perception yeah. that covers the basics to a to good extent. Okay. But often these tests were made under certain conditions and uh, for instance the contrast sensitivity function that is used a mm. lot to in, in, in a lot of te- technology mm-hmm. implementations that was measured at some point under certain conditions but then you you use it to some extent but you have to adapt it to the conditions of the context where you're using it and kind right. of retune parameters or refine something mm. so we built on on knowledge as of course as much as possible um, as we can yeah but then sometimes we encounter problems that are uh, emerging only from the fact of the technology and then uh, right. we use all of this background with all the everything that we find from te- from psychology books so we right. cite the t- psychology books and then uh, we we add something that is specific to the technology to that right um, a, a very an example of that was a work we did on stereoscopic window violations mm. very specific so something that what is that <laughs> it's an effect that can only occur in stereoscopic 3d because you are watching a three-dimensional thing on a 2d screen mm-hmm. and it is considered 
an, an artifact, uh, a bad effect. Okay. So we were interested in quantifying and understanding this effect, which is something new and only in the context of stereoscopic projection, but it builds on perception and on three-dimensional perception of the human and the contrast, sensitivity, right. and right. Uh, all of this knowledge that is there has to be applied right. to build a model, a computational model now mm -hmm. for this specific technical system. So That's these how it can look like. These types of difficulties, I presume, are kind of the equivalent of motion sickness with VR or yes, that type exactly. of thing. Is it yeah. just there's a kind of a, a butting heads yes. between the perception of it and the, the presentation exactly. itself? So yeah. the motion sickness in stereo 3D is also the equivalent of motion sickness in VR. Okay. So that's Same one of these thing. questions that people have been studying. Yeah. And the stereoscopic work you're talking about, how would you define that for somebody? They probably have experienced it, but maybe they don't know what that is. What, what, what actually is that? How is that defined? I mean, stereoscopic perception is something we all, well, most of us know from uh, the 3D cinema, now where you put glasses on mm -hmm. and then you see something on the cinema screen or some other TV screen with some depth perception. Mm -hmm. But that's by no means a natural perception. That's actually a, a brute force fake of the human visual system. Right. So you are projecting two different images into the eye. And if these two images are made carefully, you will perceive a stereoscopic effect. So seeing mm. depth out of that. No? But as it is really not nothing natural, as many people mm. believe or would try to make the audience's belief, mm. it, it's, it's a very constructed artificial signal mm. not to use that term again sure and if you don't do it very carefully you create a lot of bad effects no? right right yeah i can see the room for that and there must be there must be such a learning in that because as with most things we understand them when they break you know they're yes, functioning yeah. and they're invisible in that sense so i'm thinking in the kind of work you're doing you you, you must be doing a lot of good psychology j just by trying to push push the limits essentially in terms of using certain technologies you you push it it works you push it a bit more it doesn't work anymore and you think okay we've learned something here about human perception and then it shines back and you know it's interesting because a lot of those questions if you as a psychological project went out to ask those it would be hard it would be hard to it would be hard to test some of these things other than through the technology you're developing so that seems to be that dance again again between yes. you know, the psychology and the technology of it yeah so in terms of, um, we probably should have done this earlier, but I think we had a good flow that I didn't want to break. But in terms of defining a few more things, um, we've talked about signal processing and we've talked about stereoscopics. Um, we've also casually used the terms virtual reality, augmented reality, maybe mixed reality, which for many of our listeners is going to be just fine and they're sick of hearing them defined. But I'm conscious there will be people listening to this who don't know exactly what we mean by that. Yeah. They've probably gotten the gist of it. But more so than just, you know, offer a link to a, a kind of a, 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 some random description of it. Yeah. I'm interested in your, your description of those terms. So yeah. uh, feel free to bring in any terms you want here. But... Yeah. Virtual reality, VR, augmented reality, AR, MR, mixed reality, or anything else. What 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 are these terms I mean, to you? Yes, so you're absolutely right that there is a, a lot of mixture and uh, wrong understanding or different understanding of, of these terms. They yeah. often describe different things, not uh, hundred percent correctly with mm. the same terms. So, but it all refers to uh, or. It became popular recently to the availability of head-mounted displays, so glasses-based systems where you put something like a headset in front of your eyes that mm -hmm. also projects two different images into your eyes. Mm -hmm. But in that case, 
you don't see anything else. No? So you just see those images that are projected mm -hmm. into your eye. And if you then project a scenery that is 360 all around you, you can create the illusion of being inside of the scenery that is displayed. No? So right. you don't have, when you turn around, the real world anymore. So you're completely immersed. And here is the term immersion. Or one of the understandings of the term immersion also, you are put into the scenery mm -hmm. that, uh, that, so that's what virtual reality should mean mm -hmm. so you put you put on a headset and you are inside the scenery so now there are different flavors of that as well so mm -hmm. uh, one thing that people may also know is 360 images so where it's something that was captured with a camera and you can look around for instance on a yeah, on, on some touristic place and, and you, you see you feel like as if you are in that place no? um, and also video versions of that. Mm. But then the other version of that is something more related to, if you think of games, no? so you put such a headset on and you are in a computer generated, in a virtual environment and can walk around. Mm. And if you have a tracking system with that, you can also explore areas and walk inside a virtual environment. No? So, uh, But I would say virtual reality altogether is widely understood as the consumption of some sort of media content via a head-mounted display. Mm. It can be either captured with cameras as 360 video, or it can be a full computer-generated environment. Mm. Um, and But it does not need to have to be via a headset. It can also be something that you explore on a computer. Mm. And so a computer game is, in that sense, also a virtual reality just displayed on a two-day screen. Mm. But mostly, currently, people are thinking of head-mounted displays and being immersed into that. Yeah. But only seeing what you have through the display. So augmented reality, as a contrast to that, mm. is really having something where you see your environment, but you have virtual elements integrated into that. Mm -hmm. uh, so for instance, I, I have a glasses base that I can see through, but there is some kind of projection that also shows me some virtual element in that. Mm -hmm. um, so, for instance, some location information or some type of graphics overlay to, to the mm -hmm. scenery that I'm in. Mm -hmm. But that can also be referred to having a mobile phone with a camera that, see, that looks into a certain direction and in this camera feed you have a virtual element integrated. Mm -hmm. So augmented reality always thinks of integrating the real and the virtual mm -hmm. via head-mounted display with see-through or via mobile devices mm. and this use case on having mobile devices and applications that put virtual elements on that uh, so that's something that will definitely in the next years be uh, an enormous hype with mm. so people are projecting bill uh, well, markets are in the areas of hundreds of billions around mm. that because the use cases are just so in, so wide and so incredible mm. so it's not and I mean, we talked a lot about creative content, about theater, about the film, but mm. most of that will, will not be in, in that area. So we are exploring it and other people as well, but most things will be in, in, in different areas like uh, information systems, uh, location-based systems, games. So the one of the biggest and most important encounters of the general public with augmented reality was, was Pokemon Go, yeah. which yeah. was kind of for many people showing for the first time what you can do and how this 
connection of a virtual world that is still geolocated with virtual elements that mm -hmm. can be overlaid into images with the actual natural world that you see what kind of uh, opportunities that brings yeah. and this is uh, again i i always like to think back to the traditional versions of, of any technology like the the cave paintings or the the, the stick in the sand or, or or any of these things and it seems that you know today and for a very long time we've had signs in in uh, in, in in the world. There's traffic signs and the signposts and there's things like that. And you know that of course already is a type of augmentation, isn't it? We have these symbols True, that yeah. represent something, and um, we we might hold a map as we're walking around as well. It it seems that we're just finding less clumsy ways of doing this in a way, isn't it? We're kind of you know richly mixing them together a little bit more. And also being able to customize and adapt as well, because yeah. you know I think we've all had that experience of being in, uh, say, a train station, and you know we're traveling maybe through a city, and we're looking at the board and trying to find the one that's relevant for us. But of course, if that was the one that jumped out at us, yeah. how useful that would be. But it can't do that for everybody. But now maybe it can, yes. isn't it? The technology can facilitate that. Absolutely. So it seems that we're getting more refined, I suppose, at using kind of traditional tools and techniques. But technology again is just making them that bit easier to access. Yeah. So that's one thing, that uh, there will be a lot of such use cases of augmented reality where they just help us to have location-based information, personalized location-based yeah. information yeah. available everywhere all the time. And this connection between the real and the virtual world and the databases and AI yeah. behind that will be one very important class class of applications i would say yeah and we, we seem to be seeing again this just major convergence between so many technology the, the yes. idea of internet of things things being tracked and and then data to begin with and then augmentation and virtual reality it, uh, it artificial makes intelligence artificial intelligence navigates through that and it yeah. seems to make the smartphone seem like nothing in <laughs> when you think about but it was a very necessary part in enabling yes. it but, but it's only getting going in terms of things yeah. coming together and converging how do you feel about that? <laughs> does yeah, it mean, excite you? Does it scare you? Does it do both? It does both at the same time, yeah. I must say. So it excites me really as there is a lot of opportunity and a lot of mm. good, but uh, it's also open, it, it also has dangers. Mm -hmm. A lot of things that, mm -hmm. uh, that can, uh, can go wrong there because mm -hmm. often in the past of, with technology, we saw that uh, the, the speed with uh, and the excitement around the technology and the business opportunities mm will make it difficult to follow up with the reflections and the thinking of the dangers and the consequences of, right. of, of such yeah. technologies. Now, yeah. So that's something that might be a bit, a bit dangerous here. Mm. But definitely, I mean, that Apple has announced that the next iOS will be, well, augmented reality will be available on basically every iPhone and Google just did the same with Android. So mm. in within a few months, everyone will have an augmented reality capable p computer in the pocket mm. and then now all the app developers will jump on that and exactly try to find out what can i do now mm. using this this opportunity and how can i create apps that mm. that would be interesting for for users to have right you use the youtube uh, content creation example earlier what do you see happening with AR and, and, and VR? Do you see it being quite democratized in terms of the content creation too, or do you, do you see it being a bit more specialized? Well, I, s I see it less as a creative content 
but rather something where more professional content and, and app or this mm. type of uh, navigation systems also will mm -hmm. predominate or maybe medical systems or yeah. or many many different things which are more about information and displaying information and connecting to information in the right. real world um, so apps in that will be mm. definitely coming but for the creative content uh, creating augmented reality games or augmented mm. reality clips. Uh, that's something that's not so easy yet, I would say. Yeah. But uh, once it is better possible, I'd see it uh, like what happened with YouTube, at least. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the expertise for a lot of these projects seems quite specialized. Like there might be you know, particular medical applications where somebody may have the medical experience but not the technical experience to you yes, know, ma yeah. make what needs to be made and then vice versa. Somebody's an amazing technical person but they mightn't have a medical background or a legal background or a yeah. background in deep sea diving or you know, whatever the specialist yes, yeah. area is that's needed. How do you think about the role of collaboration in what seems to be an increasingly very, very, uh, very, 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 uh, very, very skill specific area? Because, I mean, developing something technically is, you know, it requires very specific skills and having those backgrounds is very specific. Do we have enough people that have both sets of skills in their interests or do we just need to work together more? Or Not how does necessarily, that work? but uh, I think it will be similar to what we see with. Uh, but but you're right so it requires technical knowledge and domain knowledge to make yeah. a, a good app and uh, you need both people on board on uh, in a startup or so for instance to make an app no? yeah but i think these it, it will not be that different from what we see today with uh, companies that build apps mm -hmm. where it will, it will just be uh, augmented reality apps right that make use of augmented reality technology but then finding the applications in these different domains, like all these hundreds and thousands of apps that we can access for our mobile phones today mm. that address some specific society or business or creative need. Mm. And where these experts from these areas got together with, uh, with the te technology experts who built mm. the apps to make them available. Yeah, it's true because the, the app culture, if you think back, you know, some decades ago to the idea of making a computer program, you know, that would yes. seem crazy. It's like, what are you going to do, design a spreadsheet or something? You know, yes. it seemed it is interesting how that culture has shifted over time. And now the bar in, in a bad way sometimes, too, but the bar for creating an app is certainly much lower than it was. But of course, that's very good in other ways. You can sometimes yeah. have low quality. But the point is, is you will have m many more people at the table doing interesting things, more of a kind of an ecosystem and yeah. a kind of a natural selection, I suppose, of good apps to some degree, hopefully, you know, yeah. if, they're, if they're getting viewed, making the way to the, to the forefront. Um, the, the, um, the other thing I'm thinking about is the, the distinction between, um, back to the VR, I suppose, a little bit more, but the distinction between, uh, sometimes made between uh, immersion and presence. And it is interesting because you can have you could have some object on the table somebody would see and it would just remind them of a previous time maybe they saw the bottle and they'd you know be in this deeply meditative essentially uh, immersed state where they're remembering that experience and experiencing it um and you, uh, other times you could have lots of technology around them like they might be in a cave system let's say with this projection around them and mm -hmm. they may be thinking of you know what they're going to do later in the day and then they could be something very small that could yes. evoke presence yeah. in that moment 
any, I, I know, I know what you were saying earlier is that you tend to focus on you know specific technical challenges and create those tools for people. But of course, you've seen so many of these technologies, and you yeah. you have a, an artistic and creative aspect yourself. Any kind of thoughts or guidance for content creators in, in terms of that distinction between immersion and presence? We could just throw technology at it. We could try and wrap people around and immerse them physically, but they mightn't be there in spirit. Yeah. I mean, that that's what I say. So uh, a good movie, uh, if you, after 10 minutes, uh, still think you are in a movie, it's not a good movie. Right, if you right. lost yourself and are in the movie, then it's a good movie. Mm. So this is something where the quality of the story, of course, mm. uh, ha plays a significant role. But also there are, if you think of these immersive systems, um, or as we call them, like, like VR or, or pro projection systems, yeah. um, there is a quite quite a few projects that have been looking specifically into presence and co-presence mm -hmm. and where does in where does presence break mm -hmm. um, what are the conditions for presence there's a quite wide body of, of research of people who have been looking at that mm -hmm. specifically in VR applications um, I've been involved a little bit so not mm -hmm. not too far into that um, and I know that some for instance, one example was then a, a large EU project where mm. not only one partner was in, but uh, a technology partner building the system, but also a psychology partner who would then design the tests and do the some kind of present studies mm -hmm. about that. You know? And we have been in a project also called Action TV recently mm -hmm. where we did something similar. You know? So we built a system where we... Uh, virtual and real participants would be together in a game show mm -hmm. and there was a TV studio involved there was a couple of uh, research institutions to to build the technology mm -hmm. but there was also a human factors company that is fully specialized in in human factors um, tests and yes. they run yeah. an exhaustive user study with the system and measured basically in a there, there were uh, applied uh, psychologists. Mm -hmm. They they measured these things in to answer these questions of, mm. of presence. No? Mm. And I think, luckily, these questions are more and more understood. And uh, the the companies who make the technology have put more and more uh, effort and resources on the design. Mm -hmm. So not only on the on the haptics and, and, and the, the design, but also on the human interface and uh, onto understanding human interfaces and, and, and what makes them look good and, and what mm. would create presence. So if we think of these immersive systems, I would assume that uh, people are caring a lot uh, mm -hmm. about making that really as good as possible. No? And it's a very, uh, very existential question in many ways, because if you say, what is presence in virtual reality? You know, we, we have some sense that it means probably not seeing the equipment as equipment that, you know, not thinking I'm wearing a head mounted display yeah. right now, as you said, yeah. you, that's like your cinema example. If, you, if it feels like a film 10 minutes in, then it's, it's not really having its desired effect. Yeah. So it's something to do with not having an awareness of the technology. It's something to do with not being maybe in the cinema or having the head mounted display on and maybe thinking about what you're going to do later that day. Pro yes. Probably yes. that. We may say, well, it's something to do with attending to the media that's been presented to us, but then it gets a bit deeper, doesn't it? Because maybe by attending to that media, by following the narrative in VR or in cinema, 
that it's evoking something with us, which is actually bringing us somewhere else, a different point in our yeah. life, a memory or a, you know, a, a sense of something in the future, which is taking us very far away from yeah. the, the yeah. technology, but the narrative is really achieving its desired effect. Yes. Yeah. So it gets kind of tricky, doesn't it, at a certain point? And then when you start thinking about that same question in augmented reality, you say, what does presence in AR mean? Uh, yeah. You know, isn't it? And it's, it's not quite that simple. It's something a little bit more... Um, and I, I know in uh, mindfulness has become more in, I suppose, in some of these research questions yes. for, for obvious reasons. People are, are looking for answers. And, yeah. you know, a similar thing comes up with mindfulness. Are we, you know, does that really mean to just be fully aware of, of what's in front of you? In a sense, you can't be aware of what's in front of you except in a very, very boiled down way. Because, of course, to see a table is itself to be having memories of what tables are and what they do. We're always constructing in, in some way. Go back to Plato. Uh, yeah, yeah. That question, of course. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a moving target, essentially, presence in some yeah. shape or form. So, so I, I know about research that tries, again, to isolate factors, right, and say measure things like the resolution. So how mm -hmm. much, how, what is the minimum resolution to, in a statistical sense, uh, not lose the, the immersion, right? So you, right. you can vary... You can display things and then go down and find a statistical measure with mm. test subjects and saying, well, your system should have at least XK resolution right. to guarantee some minimum level of probability for immersion. Right? Yeah, so yeah, this is yeah. then how you nail down these uh, these questions and answer them kind of in terms of technical parameters. Yeah. And and it seems to be about that narrowing it down, all right, isn't it? Creating ranges of certainly yes. what we said already, our biological capability, at least, to yes. begin with. Yes. If you have something on a wavelength that the person can't see, that's off to a bad start, I suppose, to begin with. But then also, psych psychologically, ju just understanding something, and this is where the storytelling, I suppose, comes in again, about just even the editing of something isn't it and yeah. the, the flow of it yeah. and uh, then back to the theater point if we don't have the editing because yeah. it's, a, it's a continuous experience there still is editing in a sense but it has to be what's happening in the scene isn't yeah. it to some degree there still has to be kind of a flow and a, and a, and a pacing that's yeah. used but uh, it, do, it does uh, it does uh, I suppose very very usefully the technology does make us question a lot of things we already assumed and that for me, I remember when I first used virtual reality headset properly, it was an early Oculus Rift and um, far more nauseating than, than current versions. But what I found most interesting was not putting it on as much. That was really cool, but it was taking it off, yeah. you know, and, and kind of yes. that reflection of hold on a minute. Oof. What have I been doing before this? What have I been taking yes. for granted? It, it does make you think about it. Yeah. I mean, we have uh, obviously... Uh, a demo system and we have a lot of visitors coming through yeah. and we show them and many or some of them put on a vive for the first time and we kind of immerse them uh, we teleport them in, into this yeah. uh, others other state of mind and yeah. then I, I, we observe often this effect when they take it down that they yeah. need a moment <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And, and we are very aware kind of kind of being there at hand uh, yeah. and also kind of helping them yeah and in a nice way guiding them way back into into the real world again right, right. because i mean in a cinema this is also done right? because uh, if you go to a cinema the light goes down first half then you see the commercials then it goes further down so you are over a, uh, a period of a couple of minutes you are set into this mood of into the complete dark cinema right Good point. And also when you go out you have first you have the credits and the light goes on yeah with something and then you walk out of the cinema and 
I mean, if you realize this process of walking outside of the cinema mm. is something that puts you back into reality to some extent. There's an embodiment to it as an well. Isn't there, yeah, that you're getting yeah. back into, into your yeah. embodiment is a good word. And then when you go out on the street and then you see mm. the other people and maybe you're yeah, in, yeah. in the city and yeah. riots and then and then you realize. But but you're not kind of switching it on from the cinema and are thrown on the street. But if it was a good film, when you go out on the street, even though you've acclimatized to some yes. degree, you still though feel a little yes. bit like Batman. Yes. Do yes. you know what I mean? Isn't it? You're taking it with you to some some degree as well, and yeah. that, that that is actually what I wanted to ask you about next is is the effects of these experiences. So this relates to, I suppose, the, the use cases for you know these types of uh, immersive technologies and education. Of course, is a big one uh, mm. outside of just entertainment. Education is a big one. Entertainment is probably the more obvious one, um, but something that's very close to my heart as well is therapy and. Uh, I like to use therapy, I suppose, as a word with a small t, not this very specific formalized version of psychological therapy in a room with a person, but more just therapeutic experiences that are uplifting and and supportive in different ways. But in any case, what any of these use cases raise is the question of how these experiences affect us, essentially, whether we retain them, whether the learning that we do within them is Mm -hmm. really the same as what we might traditionally call real experience or or not. So this is quite a big topic of course and you know we, yeah. we, we could go into massive detail about any part of that but but broadly in in thinking about that the retained effects of of these experiences and how the role they might play what, what have you encountered there well everything that we experience changes us generally no mm-hmm. so we are evolving constantly mm-hmm. uh, by everything that, that we do and uh, these things of course do that right, mm-hmm. as well so uh, it's a difference if you try vr for the first time or mm-hmm. if you do it a few times uh, and there's this learning effect uh, obviously as well so you get more familiar you get mm-hmm. more receptive for mm-hmm. such things it, it's of course also um uh, individually different so some are more yes, receptive yeah. some really not so we also experience that uh, w- with our with our guests you know that some are really keen on, on doing it yes, and some yeah. are really only hardly putting it and feel very very scared of it but definitely there is an effect no? but um as you mentioned training uh, that's another question so we are th- um or VR applications have been used, I think, for, for many years already in professional training applications mm-hmm. for, for s- in the military often, right? So where they yeah. would kind of train certain yeah. fight combat scenes and uh, with the hope that they would be better prepared than, uh, than in other ways. No? And, but, I'm it, but it's a good question how, how far that correlates to the real experience mm. or how much of a percentage you can you can get out of out of vr or yeah. what the the parameters of good vr would have to be to be as close as possible to the right. to the real one if the the goal is to simulate a real experience no? mm. so that that's a good question and i, I can answer that and it's no. in the well i think you have substantially already because it's more a topic of exploration really that we're all going to be focusing on over the coming decades yes. i suppose yeah. but uh, I, I think we have some intuitions in it though already and I think part of the problem seems to be is we're, we're a little bit too um, too too casual sometimes in calling something virtual and something physical, isn't it, or real, and, and, and using those terms as if they were completely mm-hmm. separate things. Because I think what stands out in, in what we're just discussing there is that 
there may be many real things you're doing in a, in a virtual experience, um, and particularly when it comes to embodiment. I mean, if you're doing physiotherapy because you need to build muscle tone, and if the physiotherapist has one of those little steps that just has two or three steps, and they don't lead anywhere, and you practice walking up and down those steps. In a sense, this is a virtual staircase. It doesn't really bring you anywhere, but you're building muscle tone by doing it. So there may be certain senses in which, in a, in a virtual environment, none of the other people are there or the other things are there, but if you're still moving in it, well, I mean, clearly that is real, yeah, isn't it? It's yeah. real movement as real as anything else. There may be other senses in which, maybe more from an information learning point of view, where let's say it's just a, a simulation of, uh, of a classroom with a professor speaking. Mm-hmm. You know, so actually being there and hearing that or being in VR and seeing that, if there's no interaction anyway, it's going to be actually rather similar anyway in terms of what's being experienced. So I suppose there's always this sort of blending and mixing, mm-hmm. isn't it, of the real yeah. and, the, and the virtual going on at different points. And that's, I think, what makes it such a rich and very complicated yeah. area to try and speak and about simplistically. And it is complicated as, uh, well, one question that comes from that is also how do you, how do you embody yourself really well in a, in a virtual reality set because yeah. how do you walk no, because you typically you have like things that you can make you teleport or go ahead yes but yes, that doesn't yeah. coincide with your with your perception of the motion right no? or if you have a moving camera that can feel really really bad no? mm-hmm. so there's there are a lot of uh, such questions that are widely unresolved and at, at the moment, because you know, embodiment is a word we've used now a couple of times, the, the danger, uh, as I think we've said, is that we can make this just a very visual experience. We can make it an, a more immersive cinema, essentially, mm. but we can miss the opportunity for that movement. And also interaction is, is another point, which isn't yeah. just about movement, but it, it certainly yes, does relate yeah. to it. A, as it stands, as the technology stands, or as you see it developing, what do you think is the role of movement? Because, you know, you mentioned the the HTC Vive headset, which, of course, uh, Oculus have, have now done it as well. But it, it really, I suppose, more commercially pushed the barriers in terms of making it room scale. And now people are talking about warehouse scale. And there's more overlaying happening as well, more mixed reality where the physical and the virtual are being overlaid on top of yes. each other. Work like uh, The Void are doing, for example, with a Ghostbusters experience where... If you look at the set of what they have, they're really just these kind of white geometric shapes. But yes. then when you put on your headset and you go in, that's actually something that's physical in the environment. You can touch it, but they've layered the, the, the virtual onto it in some way. So all of these things are highly interesting and uh, still under development. So that's an area or similar things that we are also looking at. You know? So how how do you combine the haptics and the, and the, and the visual part? Uh, yes, perfectly right or, or one example I, I knew for instance was a, a theme park in in the south of germany where they mm. they used an old roller coaster mm. uh, an old classical roller coaster experience but they give the guests a headset and on this headset what they will see on, on wife is a completely different environment so they will go through a very futuristic uh, experience yeah. yeah but they will have the haptics and the motion of the real roller coaster mm-hmm. so and both have to be of course perfectly synchronized yes the yeah. motion of the right curve is then also reflected in your in what you see but that's one very concrete uh, example of something like bringing the physical and the virtual world together and kind mm-hmm. of trying to match them but you can also imagine you can do very bad things if you kind of diverge uh, the yes, motion and, and you yeah. feel one thing and you see see another thing and a lot of these problems with uh, with a lot of 
technologies that we see, it was the same with stereoscopic 3D. It's a mismatch of perceptual cues uh, where mm -hmm. you see something, but see some right. feel something different. You more you, you see motion, but you don't feel it. And the right technical um, tricks to overcome that and to make that match, that's an area that many people are, are looking at. Like mm -hmm. thread mills for walking yeah. or other type of things to combine the haptics or gloves. Um, yeah. mm -hmm. I remember, uh, I remember if I listened or read to it, but, but hearing about the, the uh, developers who made the... Uh, that film came out about the the guy who walked over the World Trade Center. If you remember that on the tight rope, he walked over, and they created a VR experience around that. So you go to the edge of the building and you'd look yeah. down, and you know, pretty powerful stuff. Yes. And yes. then you'd walk out over the rope, and you know, they were saying that they thought it was good, but they, then they said, "Well, hold on a moment, let's try something." So they went out and they got some rope, just regular rope, and they got some duct tape and they stuck it to the ground. And then they also got a regular cheap desk fan and they turned it on so the wind was blowing. And they said, now try it. It's like, wow. <laughs> yes, yeah. And isn't it, it strikes you that there's so many yeah. simple things that can be done. That feeling of yeah. the rope beneath the feet, the difference that would make yeah. uh, and the wind, just such simple yeah. things. But those opportunities are, are often readily available. And that, that's kind of exciting, I think, because hopefully there can be kind of cottage industries in this type of creative development that can really push the mm -hmm. bounds and... It can be a little something like the YouTube example, which I'd like to think that, you know, for the big companies that have the big budgets and the big resources, that rather than needing to get rid of them, um, because I think there's room for everybody at the table, that those interesting creative uses can can really inspire other people to have the budgets yeah. then to push the boundaries yes. even further. As somebody who, uh, you know, has experienced the big corporations, I suppose, and then the smaller developers and those creative endeavors, how do you see the role of each of them moving forward? We live in a very different world in terms of access to technology. No, but I, I see it's, it's exactly a world where there's so much opportunity for, for everyone, specifically in, in yeah. VR, AR. Because the big ones, they are making big investments and big bets. So yeah. um, to use the, the names, companies like Apple are buying mm. like hell. Yeah. smaller companies in the AR space they are mm. hiring like hell so I hear yeah. so many of my uh, people I know are, are ending up somewhere there yeah, doing sure, things sure. Um, you see Oculus was bought by Facebook for, mm. for billions Magic Leap is a company that has investments in the order of billions mm -hmm. from Google and others so all these big companies are heavily investing because they see this coming uh, so these yeah these markets of billions will come and they will get of course the big share of the the infrastructure the, the platforms uh, mm. of all of that but still to make all of this useful they will need content mm -hmm. as one thing they will need apps as the other thing so all of this what we what makes what, what makes these products useful will create so much opportunity for content creators for app developers for Spe specialized um, applications in all possible sectors. Mm -hmm. So I see also startups coming up uh, everywhere in all possible directions mm -hmm. and a lot of interest from venture capitalists to invest mm -hmm. in, in this type of startups. So it's a very, very hot area where there's mm -hmm. opportunity for, for everyone, I would say. Yeah. Which makes it, of course, difficult to get people. As yeah, well. yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, and they all got offers from. Yeah. Well, that's good. It just puts pressure on you to make the projects you do that much more interesting than what everybody else is doing, isn't it? That's that, oh. that kind of natural selection again. 
we have our arguments as well. <laughs> I'm sure. Fine. I'm yeah. sure. Uh, okay, so let, let's be futurists then for for just a moment and and try and look ahead. And uh, you know, uh, if you think about maybe a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now, and hey, you can go hundred years if you feel like it. What what do you see coming on the horizon? Because you're you're in a unique space that you're connecting with technologies and projects that are you know, that bit ahead of maybe what the average person is aware of at the moment. So yeah. you know, that, that gives you a view of the horizon ahead, I suppose, that, that sometimes other people wouldn't have. And actually, when I said I was speaking to you and I, and I asked a few people, I said, what questions, you know, do you, do you think are most relevant? They said, about the future, what do you see coming? Yeah. That That's actually what came up most. So a massive topic, but... Yeah, what, so, what do uh, what do you see coming? For, so I have to put a big disclaimer first yes. uh, before I say anything uh, to that question. No, but I, I can give you my educated opinion. Sure. Of course. No, sure. Well, if you if you ask for uh, one year, I'm totally certain that we will see lots of AR applications coming up on the mobile phones. Yeah. So that's definitely coming. Or iPads. So maybe iPads will have a, a renaissance or tabloids because they will have a bit bigger screen, so you can. And yeah. uh, I see that uh, app developers will jump onto that when the platforms now provide the capabilities to do AR easily. So yes. AR kit is something that Apple iPhone will provide. So that's and yeah. Google just uh, released the, the equivalent for Android phones. Mm. So over the next year, we will see a massive uh, wave of, of things coming up mm. uh, in that area. Many of it will be maybe also experimental and not not survive or n not to the highest levels of usability mm. and interest. But some some of that will definitely come. Mm -hmm. So on mobile phones will be maybe a first wave of of augmented reality. Mm. I mean, then definitely a next thing can be expected when maybe some glasses-based systems come out. So big manufacturers like uh, mm. Microsoft Hololens also announced. In a few years, there will be like glasses out there, and there are rumors that Google also will provide a new version of the Google Glass, mm -hmm. targeting consumer markets as well as, as all the others. You know? mm -hmm. So there are plenty of companies that are building helmets and other things. So we will see in a maybe couple of years more down the road also the use of glasses-based AR systems mm -hmm. widely. Um, as well as on the professional sector, uh, I see a lot of this coming out, coming up uh, in parallel to the consumer mm. side, where we will, we also the the constraints on budgets are maybe less uh, less important. So where people working in the field will use augmented reality mm -hmm. for visualization of virtual data and integrate it with the real with the real world. Communication will change mm. through that. So this will really massively end uh, everyday life. Mm -hmm. And for the longer term, I see that, of course, the, the quality of these technologies will improve. It will go further and further. We will see maybe displays of holographic kinds and where mm. the boundaries between real and virtual really go further away. And uh, in the longer term, I uh, already formulated many years ago that uh, the utmost uh, uh, goal of my research is to, to build the holodeck. Mm -hmm. uh, so the full immersive uh, entertainment platform indistinguishable from reality mm -hmm. regarding all the senses and to the limits of all the senses being fully interactive with the story and the environment and with each other. Mm -hmm. um, that's something 
maybe 50, maybe 100 years. Mm. Uh, certainly not in my uh, life as a researcher. Uh, so I'm secured. Uh, well, hopefully, enough hope work. Hopefully, longevity research increases at the speed that this maybe, research yeah. does, and they'll meet each other somewhere in the middle. So <laughs> good to see it. Yeah. So, yeah. Ultimately, yeah. that's something where I, I see it evolve and. Mm -hmm. uh, so this, I think you, you partially answered this anyway, maybe even the same answer, but I asked you what you expected. The, 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 the other related question is, what would you like to see? So the holodeck, I'm, I'm guessing, is at least part of the answer to that question, but maybe in the, in the short to medium term, what do you think would be a good focus to have? You know, the world will do what it does. There's certain, you know, financial interests that will, you yeah. know, push certain projects more than others. But what do you think is a very good use for some of this technology? Well, we have the luxury uh, to some extent to look at the creative side, to mm -hmm. work with, as we discussed, with drama people and to look at the storytelling aspects mm -hmm. and uh, the, some of the artistic things. Uh, that would complement the, the more uh, money-driven interests of, of companies, yeah. maybe. Yeah. So that's something that we will certainly continue to contribute uh, as part of okay. my current project, but also ongoing there. You know, and to explore uh, how these technologies can contribute to new aesthetics, new forms of expression, new forms of art. That would be something I'm interested Very in. Nice. Right? Yeah. Very nice. Very nice. And if you had any cautions about what could go wrong, maybe, if Terminator style, you were to send yourself from the future back to today with a little bit of a warning yes. of what we should be careful with, yeah, yeah, what should we know, be careful with? Exactly what you say. So I also had once given a, given a talk where I um, used uh, images from the Matrix yeah. uh, to, uh, well, to, to ask that question. So um, mm. let's assume all of this goes, uh, continues mm. like that. Will we end up in the matrix sometime? Will we only live in virtual environments? Will we get even more disconnected from mm -hmm. the real world? Uh, well, the the, the sci-fi of, of the matrix or the Terminator is certainly a, a, a good picture for that. And, and, and I used that before as well. So that's certainly a danger that we can see. You know, not, not in the... In the literal way, maybe, sure, but sure. components of that, right? So we already see that people are too much attached to their, to their phones. Well, this is it, isn't it? No, yeah, and and that yeah. will get stronger and evolve even more. And people, I actually saw a, a very good short movie mm. once where people it talked about people who got it was a fiction, but it showed people who got addict in virtual reality mm. and basically lost the connection to the real life and behaved like junkies and right, only, right, yeah. only living in the virtual environment yeah. and totally neglecting themselves and uh, well being junkies who only could live in in the virtual environment and, and that's that's a, a very important point and i suppose one that we can flag but we can't fully answer we need to answer it in an active sense as in a day-to-day -day, because yeah. that can happen with anything it could happen with books it could happen with virtual reality headsets it could happen yeah, with with, inf with yeah. gaming with any information and there does seem to be a, a difference it's not that we need to have a moral panic and you know try and outlaw these things but nor do we need to be addicted to them at the cost of holism yes. there does seem to be something in that where you can have the, these experiences they give you something which you then bring back into the world mm -hmm. and you're you're a better person, yes. and then you bring that creatively into the experience yeah. again. Yeah, or, of course, with the augmentation. Is not the devil, no? And uh, yeah. we shouldn't make it the devil, but we should uh, 
flag the dangers and be yeah. aware and be educated to to avoid them mm -hmm. and teach our children like we like i try no? so to yeah certainly put that phone away and and, and do something else <laughs> and yeah and, and hopefully with the augmentation as well there's some opportunity there for them not always being so separate as well so hopefully yes, that will yeah. help too you know that will be kind of a you know, if, if one is heroin, the other could be methadone, maybe step down in some way or, you know, yeah. don't worry. You don't have to be lost in technology. There's technology everywhere. You can, you can reconnect. So a last question before we begin to wrap up is if you look at the bigger uh, picture, if you go way back to the very beginning before, even before signal processing of any description to the beginning, your love of music was there, let's say, but uh, you, you hadn't formalized all of this, everything you've done over the decades uh, that, uh, that have followed. Is there any kind of key theme or learning that stands out for you from your work as a whole? You've worked different places, you've worked on many projects, you've worked with different technologies, you've encountered different people. Any kind of life learning or big themes that stand out for you that you think would be helpful to share? Yeah, I mean, the, the more enthusiasm I, I could bring into some of the things I've been doing, the better mm. it, it, it got in the end. Right? Mm. So the... I mean, in uh, in work life, there you have different things to do. There are different duties. Some you like more, some you like less. But uh, choosing something that you can really engage with and uh, lose mm. yourself in, uh, then it's it's not work anymore. And mm. then you just go for the enthusiasm and uh, could work day and night just to to get that thing done. Also, mm. when the reward is not the the thing that you are up for, but uh, the actual doing of it. Uh, mm -hmm. And that could have been something like making music or playing football mm -hmm. or doing some of the research I, d I did. No, but this right. total engagement and enthusiasm towards the thing was something that brought me the most in the end. Mm. And and did that happen by design or by chance for you? Because I, I know you said you focused on the music first and maybe the signal processing seemed related to that. How should somebody go, somebody maybe at the start of their career trying to find their, their level of interest? Yeah. Sometimes there's a divide. Society says, no, you do what you love in your spare time. You need to, you know, develop some key skills. How to, it is. I mean, how to find that, do you think? I mean, we are not living in the paradise and you have to, to do things that... Uh, make money and, and make a living in the end right? yeah and everyone has to do some choices here but uh, something like an i, I say sometimes call it educated intuition wow i like like this term so a nice term. I, I actually told that to my daughter kind of because she was uh, <laughs> looking for a study subject uh, just now so she will start university and got two different options and right right i told her exactly that question what should i do daddy what uh, there are all these options yeah, so yeah i told her well look at everything try to be as rational as possible kind of what are the criteria how do you value them and but do this rather as a process of getting the education but in the end then the intuition is what what would, will guide you right? Right. and you will not have all the options no? so not everyone can be a rock star Mm. I couldn't be a rock star, so I had to take a different route. Uh, yeah, depends on your definition. You know, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Academic. You know, right? I'm <laughs> just uh, just an academic. Uh, but that is then also was also an intuition, and I mean, over the years, I also s tell her specifically, it will mm. not be a, a, a direct line, and it it was not in my case. So it will be. Right, right. You have some idea, you start something, and it the life will 
direct <laughs> you and catapult you into different directions and then you will see something new and you will go for it and then it will take you there a lot depends also on coincidence and kind of casuality and, and whatever yeah. happens in life uh, but if you are all if you follow your intuition with uh, a good uh, background and education mm. then you're on a, on a good track yeah. wonderful that's great advice if people want to follow up on your work stay in touch with, with, with what you're doing what, what's the best way for them to do that yeah, I mean, we have a good uh, web page. I'll put in some links, yeah. The links, so vSense is the, the name yep. of the project, and there is uh, also contact formulas, and we we also look at putting a lot of all, all our publicly available things on there, so the results of our research are on there. There's a nice trailer. There's also the team, so a good collection of everything that we do and, and the contacts to, to us. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. So the webpage is the best repository. Excellent. Yeah, we'll put the links in. So uh, thank you so much for being on the podcast, uh, Professor Alyosha Smolich. Um, I think it's very, very important to do this, not just because this is a fascinating conversation, but because I think a huge amount of your work is the kind of work that people will actually already have encountered, but not known that you're behind it. Number one, and number two, not even knowing that the work was done. <laughs> number two, because a lot of it is implicit. When a technology is well designed, when it works well, when those signals are processing well, you don't think of them as signals, like the mm -hmm. point you made about the cinema. You just get lost in the experience. So I, I think talking about the rock star, you know, the rock star on stage is very important, but so is the sound engineer. <laughs> so are all the, the production team yeah. behind it. It, it. it really brings that together. So thank you for the work you've been doing, and it's been great having you on the podcast thank you thank you for having me